Hey guys, welcome back to Voices of Construction, a podcast powered by TouchPlan. This is No Baker, uh, your host, and I have another episode for you today. Uh, today we actually interviewed Joe Stallman, uh, principal and project manager at Mocha Systems. Really great conversation we had with him today um, about his projects and historic and cultural significant um, rehab work, as well as all the different capital buildings he's done and worked on. Uh, really just enjoyed talking to him about his love of history, uh, talking to him about how to facilitate meetings. One thing you'll realize from Joe is he is a very thoughtful uh, person to speak to and, and really knows how to navigate a conversation and therefore facilitate our construction meetings in a way that's really meaningful to the project. Uh, loved hearing some of his, his advice about that, loved hearing about his projects, but moreover, just another passionate person within our industry talking about their experiences. So here you go. Here's Joe. Well, Joe, thank you so much for, for jumping on today. Um, I know we've kind of rescheduled. You got a lot going on. I got a lot going on. How you doing? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. Um, so what I really wanted to get into um, is your your restoration project and some of your history background. But before we do, um, what I really love everyone to do is kind of give their full circle background of how they got into construction, what your what your passion in construction is, and we can kind of go from there. You don't have to start at the age of two if you want to. <laughs> you you absolutely can. Uh, but we'll kind of we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Well, I, maybe I will start it too. I mean, I, I'm a North St. Paul boy. That's where uh, I'm born and raised. It's a, a first ring suburb of St. Paul, Minneapolis area. And um, I'm actually, I live there now. So I'm calling in here a mile away from where I grew up in a house that, uh, that was multi-generational. Uh, my father grew up in it. My grandfather grew up in it. My great grandfather. And it was I wouldn't say it's a historic house, but it's a, a kind of a neat uh, gray block house that sits on a hill. And all of this is relevant because I think from an early age, it was kind of ingrained in me the importance of of history and place and architecture. And um, so when I uh, graduated from high school, uh, I immediately went to St. Cloud State University, which is about an hour and a half northwest of the Twin Cities, and I thought I would study history. That's what I was interested in. And with that, I was likely going to be a teacher um, and a coach of, of athletics of some sort. Uh, in order to pay for school, I was working for a construction manager here in the, in the Twin Cities, Carl Anderson Construction, as a laborer. Uh, it was great. It was really good pay for a 17 year old. Uh, I was working as a laborer and learning a lot about the construction industry, uh, even at that early age. Uh, admittedly, I did a lot of pushing a broom uh, and and just kind of watching the trades and learning, uh, learning what seeing what they were doing. Um, but I worked really hard. Uh, I I got the job as uh, knowing someone in the industry, but I was told right away. You know, you you got the job because you know somebody, but you got to earn your way back to the next project. So, I worked my tail off and um, and got on the good side of a lot of job soups who wanted me back. So on Christmas breaks from college, you know, if I needed the work, which I did, uh, they'd always find a place for me. And sooner or later, I started to really, you know, understand the the construction side of things to where uh when when a job soup needed something to be done or, or someone came on the job site like an architect they'd send them with me and and uh, i'd show them around the job site show them what we were doing why we were doing it and i started to watch these architects and i thought you know i can do that 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 looks cool too um so i changed my major and at the time i think it's still true the only accredited university here in minnesota is the university of minnesota and i was too close to home i wanted to get away so i i got a big book this is in the 90s before the internet got a big book of schools kind of went through and highlighted every school that had an architecture program and then went back and crossed out every one that i couldn't afford 
uh, and then went back with another color and circled all the cool places. And I, I landed on uh, San Antonio. It came down to either Colorado, Boulder, or uh, University of Texas at San Antonio. And I took one trip there uh, to visit the campus, fell in love with the river walk and the history down there and a completely different culture than where I grew up. And uh, I thought this would be a cool place to, to study. Yeah, and, I'd, I'd say so. That's definitely yeah. a, a different place. It was totally it's, it's different. It's funny because you mentioned Boulder. Now Boulder's like one of the most expensive universities in yeah. the United States. Yeah, it is funny. I, I For some reason, I thought I could afford it at the time, but I think it, uh, I think it went up quite a bit. <laughs> uh, and so I, I did really well. Uh, once I was focused on kind of thinking about architecture, uh, I... I found myself winning some awards uh, at the college level, um, gaining some attention from firms down there. And I had all intentions to just kind of get my degree and move back, quote unquote, home. But um, uh, one of the firm leaders there, uh, Andreas Andujar from a company called 3DI, came to my college, pulled me out of studio and said, uh, I, I hear you might be moving back in May. Uh, what do you think about working for us for a while and seeing if you want to stick around? And so that was great. I mean, I, did, I didn't even have to put in the application. I was, I was thrilled. I just thought I was on top of yeah, the world. That's the dream, and, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they were doing some, some really interesting work at the time. And uh, they were, the 3DI was kind of a weird company. It, it had a lot of government contracts. It did facility condition assessment. It did, um, some of the, the military work that I wouldn't consider, you know, really exciting design, um, and, and facility assessment, we were doing hotels and that was a great foot in the door for a kid right out of college. But I also, uh, was interested in the historic work that some of the other architects there were doing and kind of fought my way on to some of those projects. Uh, an architect there, Milton Babbitt, who was, uh, who trained under, uh, some really great uh, architects in San Antonio, O'Neill Ford, and uh, and that firm there uh, took me under his wing, and we got to work on some really neat theaters, uh, some some uh, college work at uh, UT Austin and even Rice University, and I got to see some of that classical architecture, and uh, and uh, that was something that was really of interest to me. Obviously, having that history. Uh, interest and then the uh the bottom uh, the bottom fell out of the economy and uh, in about oh i don't know the, the kind of the mid 2000s 2008 uh and i had to follow a a project because the first thing that happens is nobody's doing new design nobody's doing architecture so i in order to sustain my uh, my paycheck. I followed a project from the design that I was on into construction and started to learn kind of that construction administration side. And all of a sudden I found myself back on a job site where I had some familiarity and I had some knowledge and, and, and uh, the door was open then for kind of owner's representative work. Uh, when I started to think about my background in construction and architecture and history, I was, you know, now I'm five, six, seven years into my career and I'm going, oh, I get it. This is what I'm supposed to do. I can talk to a job suit in their language or I can talk to an architect in their language and at the same time uh, know and appreciate the history of you know, the reasoning behind what we're doing and the restoration work. And so... It all, I'd love to tell you that that was the plan from the get-go, but uh, it just kind of fell into place, I think, as a result of all, all those passions. Yeah, and the, the great thing about this podcast is you're, you're, you're really not alone, and a lot of the people that we, that we interview and we speak to and we, we chat with, there's a lot of these amazing kind of full-circle moments, and, mm -hmm. and I really love that about what you're talking about is I, I had a passion in history and we'll get into kind of your restoration work and everything you're doing there. But that's what, that's what I love about 
having these conversations is every single person in the construction industry has brought a passion or an interest into why they do it and, and why they're there. Um, yeah. And I love the fact that, that you said, that, you know, I'm sitting in my, my family's house that has been here forever. And that's where that started as well. My brother and I have a huge passion for that. Like I'm, I'm sitting in my, my grandfather's home right now. Right. That's and great. my dad lived here and, and all of that. So, I mean, it, it goes back even further to a, a passion to, you know, go see ancient architecture and things like that and, and backpacking in Greece and just loving that. So sure. I, I would love to hear kind of your first, like, what was your first project where you kind of walked into that building and, and on the field and you were like, wow, this is cool. We have to do this right because... One of the things yeah. I want to get into as well is when you and I have talked about this is just the fact that people do restoration work pretty poorly too. And it, mm -hmm. it makes me sad <laughs> to yeah. tell you the truth. I'm sure it makes you sad. But what was that, that one moment where you like walked into that, that job site and you were just like, this is awesome. This is yeah. great. Yeah. The, uh, the architect I was working under, uh, Milton Babbitt, who I mentioned, came up to my work station and kind of tapped me on the shoulder. He was a man of very few words, tapped me on the shoulder. He says, come with me. And, uh, we walked downstairs. I'm following him sort of blindly. You know, he's not explaining what we're doing. We walked right across the street into the majestic theater on Houston street in San Antonio and, uh, aptly named. It is majestic. It's beautiful. It's, yeah, I'd been in there before. Of course it was literally across the street from our office, but, uh, all of a sudden we had some work there and he wanted to kind of crawl around in the back of house spaces. And, and I'd obviously never been in those spaces and I knew some of the history of the place. And, and, uh, we met with the management team there and now I'm starting to get a feel for what's going on. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, we gotta, we got to draw all this. And, and what I need you to do is get a good, base of what's existing and then we'll we'll kind of go from there and so i got to spend the next few weeks just trying to understand the building intimately going in there you know by myself and and doing measurements and then going back to my desk and drawing and and uh you know it i felt this sort of connection with the building itself or with the the, the history of it the people who had been there in the past the people who designed it certainly but even those that utilized it, those who performed on the stages, um, all of a sudden I'm kind of walking in hallowed ground, you know, and it's like uh, this this feeling of importance of what I was doing. And something I didn't feel when I was assessing, uh, you know, restrooms in the La Quinta Inns. Um, that's good work. It, it really sustained us and it probably made us tons more money than a little restoration project across the street, but, uh, you know, that passion, a lot less that headaches, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true too. Um, you know, there, it was easier for me to stay an hour longer at the end of the day to get something done because I cared about it. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to, you know, uh, understand it better. And so much of, you know, good work comes from, you know, someone who cares about the project and who wants to see it done correctly. And that was, that was kind of the aha moment for me. Um, it, you know, a little later than in my career, so three, I, uh, was purchased and mostly for those larger contracts, uh, the La Quinta projects, the, 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 um, the government work that we had, um, by a company called Parsons and some of that, historic design started to dwindle and the writing was on the wall and a lot of us then migrated over to uh, mocha and i you know i saw a lot of familiar names over at mocha i thought maybe that culture could could be sustained or or reinvented over over at mocha and so i i made that move and to the san antonio office and and not too long after i did uh, we were at one of those all hands meetings where you're seeing uh, you, 
you know, pursuits that are happening and what people are doing across the country. It's not a, not a huge company. There was only at, at the time, maybe 50 of us across the country. And I saw this little blurb come across the PowerPoint that said, uh, David Hart is traveling to Minnesota to talk about the state capital restoration. And I went back to my desk, picked up the phone, didn't know who David Hart was, called it. He didn't know who I was <laughs> and he's in Utah. And I said, uh, you know, my name's Joe Stallman. I'm in the San Antonio office. I am from Minnesota and I speak that language up there. If you need someone to help you on this project, I'm glad to be that person. I'll meet you up there, whatever you need. Um, and he, he thought about it and said, you know what? Yeah, we, we probably could use you. And uh, so I flew up there, got to be in on the meetings of those initial talks and uh, it went really well. And, Again, at the end, I said, you, we get this work. You're going to need boots on the ground. Um, our offices are in great places, Boston, Hawaii at the time, Florida, San Antonio, Salt Lake City. I, I kind of knew that nobody was really going to be clamoring to go to Minnesota, especially in the winter. And <laughs> right. so I, I knew I had a shot at it. <laughs> uh, sure enough, he, he, uh, he gave me the position and it was a dream come true really so and now here i am in uh, my early 30s uh, moving my family across the country to go be the project manager on what i would consider the most important building in the state of minnesota from a historical restoration context and with some with some longevity to the project uh, you know in this business you're only as good as uh, as as the length of your project and this one was going to be five years of construction with a couple of years of design and uh that's job security in in this industry um right and so uh yeah i mean it was a homecoming of sorts it was uh you know my family was thrilled that uh, that this was a thing and and that we were going to be a part of it um and so that was really the you know, I had my aha moment with, you know, what I wanted to do. And then I had this breakthrough moment with the Minnesota State Capitol. Yeah. And and you got the best homecoming, too. It's like I've I've not only succeeded, but I'm I'm bringing bringing back our our building. Yeah. <laughs> our yeah. Minnesota history right here, everyone. And for anyone out there who hasn't been to St. Paul or Minnesota, they love where they live. We, we know that. I think last time I, I spoke to you, there was a Twins game going on in the background. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Which is probably a constant thing that, that has to happen, <laughs> which I'm actually born and raised in New York, uh, now live in Boston, and and that's a sports town too. But I, I really love the fact that these buildings are being brought back and they, there's some government money into, into it, some. Um, mm -hmm. but there is a lot of like struggle with that kind of stuff. And, and I would just kind of like to educate the listeners on the, the difference between that and, and a new high rise or the, the Hilton or the La Quinta or, or whatever it may be mm -hmm. is that kind of, that kind of construction is a struggle in itself. Um, to get done well and and you have a lot of constraints mm -hmm. going on so has there has there been that kind of day where you're like oh man because we we talked before where these historic restrict like you know historic projects are i think we mentioned one in new york and i won't name it um <laughs> verbatim but where they basically just keep the facade tear down the entire building and then and build new construction behind it and say Oh, it's a restoration project. So, yeah. um, you know, what, what kind of fun things and constraints and hardships do you run into when you're, when you're looking at that type of work? Yeah. You know, there, well, there's a couple of layers of the onion to peel there. Um, for, <laughs> for me personally, I really enjoy the, the why behind the project. So uh, when we get, something coming up that is you know culturally significant or historical in any sense i dive all the way in I, you know 
buy a stack of books on on the building and the the place and try to learn as much as I can in order to go through that process of what is best for this project. What what what's the outcome we're looking for and what what are the reasons behind it? And so you know, when we look at a, a Capitol building or a, um, or like Fort Snelling, which is something we did here, you know, I, right away we need to lay down some parameters of what we want to keep and what we don't, uh, what things are historical, and, and even those are layered. We, we tend to put zones on the building. This is a, you know, zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, and on a zone one, you can't change anything about it. You know, we're just going to fix in zone two, okay, we can make a little bit of change here and then all the way, so on and so forth, down to zone four, which is usually back of house, mechanical spaces. We can do a lot there. Um, and just kind of defining those things um, is is a worthwhile exercise. Uh, the challenges, though, uh, aspect when you're dealing with this, a lot of it is in uh, finding skilled labor that can do the work. Um, and finding labor that's available uh, based on what the economy is doing. So, for instance, uh, when the economies are doing really well and there is a lot of work in town, we will find that uh, all of a sudden our prices go up really skyrocket high on restoration work because why would I want to have all those unknowns if I'm laying block? Uh, I can go do a new build ground up where the blocks are new and the mortar is nice and clean and we're, we're, we're knowing exactly what we can get done in an hour. Where I don't and, have to match tile work. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so given the choice between the two, a lot of contractors and subcontractors will say, I'm not really interested in, you know, getting a crew into a 120 year old building with, so many unknowns uh, where I can, where I'd have to carry a lot of risk, and we see that in the in the bid in the numbers. Um, and so you have to find that contractor who wants the work because of because of the significance of it, um, in order to get a good value. And that that's both monetary and quality. Uh, making sure that you know we we got a crew in there that understands why we're doing what we're doing and and has kind of some basis for decision making even down to the minute by minute details of what you know how they're how they're doing their work and how they're doing their craft if they if they've been trained or have a have an understanding of um, the history of the building itself and what's important and, and what we're really trying to achieve it just makes the project go so much smoother and um and that's something that we bring to the to all these projects. We try to do onboarding with our our subs, uh, with all of our contractors. So, we, what you would typically see on like a high rise building, like you mentioned, um, we'll have some training for everyone who's on the job site, so they get that sticker on their helmet, and it's usually uh, based around safety. And uh, almost all the large contractors here do that to make sure that you know they check that box. We implement, you know, some of the cultural uh, understanding as well. We, as owners reps, we, we ask the contractor, can we also, you know, tag on to your training seminar? Can we also give them a brief history of, of the building and give them some sense of pride, you know, as they're working up here so that they go home and, and talk to their family about it. And I mean, everybody in the trades, you know, has that uh, their kids always roll their eyes when you drive around town because the the parents want to say, oh, "I worked on that. I worked on that. I worked on that." But uh, yeah. these these That's like big my ones favorite part about our industry is yeah. the pointing around, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and <laughs> it's it's the the sheer fact that I guarantee you and I are 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 two grown men who watch like antique roadshow and thing like oh, things of that absolutely. nature because that. <laughs> I can only imagine, and, and I, I I would love to to visit one of your job sites and just the 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 shiny new you know nineteen oh two penny that that you get mm -hmm. to recreate is is such an amazing thing and something that I have absolute passion for and 
we see it in my hometown in New York City. Sadly, um, we see that only only the the wealthiest areas get to keep those special things, and it's something yeah. that we could we could definitely change. But when when it does happen, and and when they do keep that building and don't just mow it down, kind of thing, um, it, it it keeps the heart of a city and. That's something I would I would love to bring up too, and and you clearly have a love for your hometown. Uh, from anyone who hasn't gotten it yet, Joe <laughs> loves where he lives. Um, but I I mean, do you get that sense of pride? And 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 we we see that sense of pride with with everyone we've we've interviewed and everyone I speak to all the time, where they're changing the skyline and they're. They're improving a town. They're improving a city, and that's where we get the drive to do what we do every day, right? But mm-hmm. there's there's also a sense of restoring that town and bringing back that life and bringing back that that feeling that it that it was when we were growing up. And I I as you speak, I get a sense that that that's almost more important to you, and it it, it almost mm-hmm. is to me too to kind of get that that city or that town's history um what kind of what kind of reaction do you get from the community instead of you know changing a landscape you're restoring the landscape you're bringing it Mm -hmm. back to to that city or town do you what kind of reaction i'm sure it's mixed it's always mixed but well i think culturally it's almost always positive uh i never have any Buddy, come up to me and be like, "Why are you fixing that?" You know, uh, I, but uh, monetarily, I'll, I'll certainly hear some things, and it gets political, and that's that's the business I'm in, especially working on state capitals. And now I've worked on five of them across the country. Um, you have to be really careful about the the political angles, and when I'm working with politicians uh, on both sides of the aisle at all times. And so those conversations come up at, at you know, the dinner table at, at Christmas gatherings with the family. You know, they, they say $310 million. Oh, could have been spent on this. But for the most part, you know, the brick and mortar conversations are the easy ones. Um, that's, that's something that people understand. You know, historic landmarks play such a vital role in forming a place's cultural identity. Um, and, and when we think of place, most of our understanding of place in our society is shaped by the built environment. And so it's easy to point at a building and say, you know, that's, I'll take Boston, for instance, you see Fenway Park, that's Boston. That is such a, a, a cultural piece, uh, you know, a historic building that is uh, you know, undisputably a, a piece of that, um, that cultural identity. And to bring it back to its, you know, glory. It was just being part of that history and being part of that, that culture. And uh, I think across the board, you know, it's been a really positive experience. Yeah. You just made so many people in Boston happy by mentioning Fenway as the <laughs> historic landmark. Well, um, and, and there are plenty, there are very, <laughs> there are way more. In, MSI and, and touch plan. We were actually on the, the Gilbane theater project that, that made that, that new part of Fenway. So we're, yeah. we're always part of history. And, and I think it's, I think it's very interesting for, for us to kind of compare restoration and, and new builds, because ultimately I think all of the passion from from everyone that we work with and speak to is building restoring history or creating a lineage that will be there forever and i think mm-hmm. that's something that everyone in our industry really finds a lot of their pride in in their work is that they're either creating or restoring history in some mm-hmm. sense, um, where I had part in changing the way that skies the, the that skyscape looks or Boston Harbor looks or yeah. I created the the theater at Fenway. I mean, man, they yeah. they had they had soft shells made, hats made. <laughs> oh, they're it. they're gonna keep those forever. Those will be in someone's basement, you know, when when I'm long gone. But in 
in some sense, do you, do you feel that kind of that, because you've done a lot of, a lot of government work. Um, and, and with that, and I, I, I don't mean to kind of push the envelope here, but I love the fact that you said both sides of the aisle come together in, in that sense. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just want to talk about that, that idea where I do feel like the work we're doing, like brings people together and brings, brings those towns back together in some sense. Um, do you, do you feel like, you know, you're, you're the glue every once in a while or, <laughs> or something of that nature? <laughs> Well, so we're working on the um, House of Representatives building here in Minnesota right now. Uh, we're uh, potentially doing a comprehensive restoration in addition to that building. And so uh, earlier this week, I found myself sitting at the table between the majority leader and the minority leader. And there was only six of us at the table and we were talking about all these things. And they would, um, on the news, it plays out as if they are mortal enemies. And they're not, and they're real people. And, uh, you know, we're having just civil conversations and we're all have a, you know, a, a common goal, uh, to, to get this building, you know, you know, in a position where it serves our community and, and our government. And, um, so, so I do enjoy that part of it coming home and turning on the news and, and seeing how it's playing out is not always exactly how it goes behind the closed doors and having worked with uh, a lot of big names in government, I can say, you know, to a person they're they've been, you know, welcoming and, and great. And, uh, you know, it's not society is and, and our, uh, political, uh, culture is not as doom and gloom as you might think it is. It's, uh, it, that's been a rewarding piece of it for sure. And that's, that's been that way at, uh, every state capital, uh, that we've been to. Uh, sure, there are there are uh, political pawns that that come up, and there will be pieces that that are run in the paper that are pointed, and, and they'll use our projects as tools to get other things. But um, you know, for the most part, it's a it's a skill set that we demand at Moca to be on these projects. We, you know, I can't be. Of course, I have opinions, but I can't go on my Facebook and start talking about the the um, political comments of the day because uh, I have to go back to work tomorrow and and be with both of those uh, entities. We, <laughs> so, we have a job to do. We, yeah, we, we it's, have. Not, it's not about that. So you you almost set me up to the point where the listeners are are going to think we totally rehearsed this. Um, uh -oh. But one of one of my points is that you are and everyone listening can probably tell already that it seems to me you are the, the, the perfect person to be in between two people and be that owner's rep that can see both sides and really get together and, and look at the project and look at the importance of getting things done and, and how do we come together um, to the point where I believe your Twitter handle <laughs> is, is, mocha joe so that's right <laughs> you're, you're you're loved by the people you work with and and i absolutely loved seeing that but i i think we all get it get into a situation every once in a while where we're between two powerful voices but there is still one goal and one project and i would love to just kind of talk a little about how you how you navigate those situations and mm -hmm. and how you kind of demand that or or negotiate that the project is the most important part and how do we get past you know whether it's a trade contractor uh a, an owner's opinion two sides of the aisle whatever it may be it seems like you're a great facilitator and i think our listeners would love to hear a little um advice in terms of those difference of opinions and, and how we get through that and how we facilitate a project to, mm -hmm. to have the best outcome. Yeah. Well, uh, you brought up Mocha Joe. So w what we do is, uh, I'm, I'm most, sorry, bud. No, I love it. <laughs> I, I love it. I and I love to. the nickname. <laughs> uh, I embrace it. In fact, I, I'm 
proud of it and glad people use it because uh, first of all, from a marketing standpoint, it's, it's been great here in the Twin Cities area. Yeah, they say, oh, you've worked with Mocha Joe. That's great. And so now people know what Mocha is and they know who I am. That, that came about because of um, the, the process we do is a workshop process at the beginning of each project. And we bring a lot of people into the room with all sorts of different um, backgrounds, stakeholders, tenants to the building. And we, everyone has an equal place at the table. And at the first workshop for the Minnesota State Capitol, we got to uh, we got to a breaking point where it was lunchtime, and I got up on the on the whiteboard and I put Mocha parentheses Joe, and then I put my phone number in case people were scattering. We had contractors from all over who might not have known St. Paul very well. You know, if you need help finding your way back, or if you're running late, call me. And everybody kind of laughed, Mocha Joe, and it just stuck after that. But <laughs> it was one of those kind of accidental moments that was uh, that has behooved us ever since. But the, uh, the the workshop process itself, back to um, you know having all those tenants in the room from the get go, uh, we call it EPDNA, Early Project Definition and Alignment, and uh, it, it really was created. The whole practice was. Uh, started by David Hart and Paul Brown, and um, and I, I I took to it right away because I could see how it was working. Uh, getting in early and understanding what is most important to the owners, to the tenants, uh, to everyone involved, and making sure that they are heard from and, and being um, informed throughout uh, is a key element to the success of these big projects, so that we have. We could have up to like 50 people sitting in the room and we're talking about one uh, aspect of the project at a time. So we could be talking about lighting for like three hours. And some people are not going to want to talk about it or eyes glaze over or they go out to take a phone call. But others are really passionate about it. But everyone has a chance to talk about that, the lighting in the building if we want to do that. And then we... We put some big ideas on the board and we say, okay, I think this is the direction we're going to go. These are, this is how we're going to make our design guidelines that we're going to give to the architects. So they have to stay within these parameters. And if they do, that meets our goals as a group. And it's, it's consensus building. Um, it's trying to have everyone nod their heads at the end of the day or week and say, you know, okay, if the project goes, in this direction and we achieve these things within these parameters that means we've had a successful project and then you know it's on us to keep it within budget and to to keep our team on task um so that whole process is is intended to be very transparent very welcoming and open to everyone uh and and some We've even had the press come to some of these and so that they can see the process and see how it unfolds and know that you know, the decisions aren't really being made you know, behind closed doors. And, uh, and it's just for, for everyone's sake, especially on a publicly funded project, um, we found a lot of success going that, that route. Yeah, there, there were a couple of things that you said and, and I think it's the the exact opposite of some of the common beliefs around large construction projects, and and that is that everything does happen behind closed doors, which is mm -hmm. absolutely not true, and that one person is dictating what what is going on, which is also absolutely not true, and and something that we're huge proponents of of solving here at TouchPlan too is the idea that you're looking at a massive room of people with opinions as a productive space to be mm -hmm. is something very difficult and something <laughs> to to admire as well where again you're an amazing facilitator clearly because if you can make that a positive and collectively have that opinion in transparency ultimately the project is going to succeed in a better and, and more dynamic way, right? Mm -hmm. When when that happens, that's an amazing thing. And then also just you of all people, I mean, we all know that 
everyone in a city or town has something to say about any building, right? That that sure. is going up next door. But how how do you kind of deal with that that like that transparency where you know your cards are on the table when you're doing yeah a government building right there there's no hiding behind <laughs> anything <laughs> and and i think you've created a way to make that really productive collaborative and and create a better project so i would just love to kind of hear about your your thoughts on how you do that and and where that comes from yeah at some point a decision has to be made right uh we can all have a great group discussion and and have uh, some sort of direction as a result of it but ultimately there's a decision that has to be made and so what we try to do is define who's who's making that decision and what that process looks like immediately um, ideally that is a, a committee of um, that is well represented and, and we often help a client define that uh, committee or define that decision-making process and so in the uh, in the event of a, a workshop where we're, we're having conflicting ideas you know it's it's a skill that uh, a lot of us at MOCA are, are still obviously trying to perfect but you know trying to make sure that we're gathering all of the the comments and the reasoning behind them and then saying okay I think I think we're here I th I'm hearing this and I'm hearing that those two things are in you know, there's some there's some tension between those uh, those two ideas. At some point, we're going to have to bring this to our leadership committee, and and we're going to make a decision there. But I want to make sure that we have everything we need to make that decision, um, and that you that everyone there knows that that you know how the process works. Um, it's never it's never really as clean as we want it to be, um, and it is. Uh, it is something that we have to be very careful about, but also, you know, just to gain trust with, uh, with the tenant group so that, uh, you know, we, we practice honesty and openness. And then if we can't, you know, talk about things, we talk about why we can't. <laughs> and so when we have a group that says, uh, you know, well, how's this going to go? And we say, well, you know, I'm going to keep you informed of this, uh, throughout and I don't know what decision they're going to make, but as soon as they do, I'll call you and I will let you know how that went. And, you know, we'll get through this. We'll see what else we can do together to make sure that this is a successful project from your standpoint. You know, we will have often on these projects, we've got a big tension between uh, safety and security and having an open public building. So we've got, uh, you know, state patrol officers saying, you know, we need to have, we need to be able to lock this building down on a moment's notice. And I'd love to screen everyone that comes in the building. And then we've got a, uh, a senator who says, this is the people's house and my constituents should be able to walk right into my office. And we have to have some really difficult conversations about some give and takes. Okay, well, why, well, why do we need that? And, uh, and what where's the middle ground here what happens if and so we facilitate those conversations that maybe haven't happened until we've we've arrived at the job site sometimes and and um well not the construction job site but i mean until we've arrived on the planning for the project um and so those yeah, are I, those are fun for us right and and the reason i ask that is because for everyone that can't see Joe. Joe is very thoughtful about every word that he chooses, and I can, <laughs> we can very much tell that that you are 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 great at the the thoughtful conversation. And I think this is something that every superintendent, every PM, every owner's rep, everyone that works on a high rise project, a data center, and everything else is that way to facilitate a conversation and the way you talk about understanding people's opinions, thoughts, and coming to the consensus that is best for the project mm -hmm. is something that you're really good at. And, and I think it's something that 
quite literally we don't have on every project, no. right? There's a lot of back and forth. Um, so in, in terms of advice of how to, I don't want to say keep a, keep a cool head on your shoulders. Um, what, what is the, the biggest thing before we kind of have to end here and we have a couple more minutes, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask you another question, but in terms of facilitating a conversation in which 98% of the time, something heated is going to come up, mm-hmm. how do you, what, what is your best piece of advice for not only cooling things down, but making sure that that conversation is the most productive for the project at hand? Great question. Um, it's going to sound cheesy maybe, but uh, I'll take my wife's advice that she gives my kids all the time. And it's just be kind, be, be authentic um, and, and be trustworthy. Uh, these projects don't happen if there's a tenant group that says, yeah, Mocha Joe is kind of shady. I'm not really sure if, if he's taking down all these notes that, you know, he's not even writing it down when I ask for things and he's not, I don't know if we're really going to get what we asked for. I think he's just going to listen to that other tenant group. Uh, that can't happen. And, um, they need to, they need to like us and know that we're on their side and that, uh, we all have a common goal and, you know, gaining the trust of the tenants, even in a group setting, making sure they all understand that, we are here to help, and uh, if we don't come to a if we don't come to a really great conclusion today, it's not over. Um, we we're going to work until we get there, and and um, it's okay to have heated conversations. Uh, the the mayor of my town, growing up, used to start every meeting with. Uh, we all arrived here as friends and we're all going to leave here as friends, but we've got some business to take care of in the meantime, and it's probably going to get ugly. And so just kind of knowing that we're going to be okay at the end of this is, is the message there. Um, you got to crack some eggs to make an omelet and, and we get that. And so let's do it together. Right. The, the point of being here is that there will be conflict, but Mm -hmm. it will produce said omelet right <laughs> if, yeah the, if this was easy if the, if the answers were easy we wouldn't be hired to be here um you know if you could yeah if, if this was uh easily done it would have already been perfect so i i know we're we're kind of up on time now um you and i could nerd out about historic buildings <laughs> for yeah we basically could. three days um but, but for everyone listening, I, I would love to hear, you know, whether it's the Acropolis in Greece or the state buildings that you've worked on, what is your, your favorite historic building um, of, of all time? Let's go there. Favorite historic building of all time. Well, it's going to be the, the next one I work on. <laughs> That's for sure. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I, I guess I don't have, I have twin daughters, so I know better than to uh, go down the list of a favorite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's just inherent with me now since, uh, since I am a father of twins. Um, I, I will say, let, let me give you a quick little story and I'll, I'll go back to Fenway since I know some of your audience will appreciate that. I was in Fenway with David Hart and a, a couple of let me back up even more. We were at like kind of this um, leadership group for Mocha and we were going to fancy dinners every night and I didn't, that's not my jam, but the, uh, the, the socks were in town and I wanted to go to a game one of the nights. So I asked Sandy Hamby, our CEO, I said, can, can, can I, or can we go to a game? One of the nights we're in town, it's like five nights. She said, yeah, why don't you take half the group? Whoever wants to go. So we're sitting there with a bunch of architects and I'm a baseball geek and David turned to me and he's like, what is it about this that you love so much? And I said, you know, baseball is the only sport where the, the playing surface has changed, uh, depended on the architecture. I said, look around, look at, at you know, the low hanging fruit there is the green monster. Look how that street behind it is too close. So we had to build a wall that was tall and, and look how right field then, uh, or, or left field has the, uh, 
the stands right up almost a third base so close to the line and right then a pop fly hit that was dropped four rows back and i said you see that in oakland that's an out in boston that's strike two and the whole game has changed because of it. And he started, he was kind of nodding his head. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. And I started pointing out other things. And finally, he's, you know, it's about the fourth inning. He's like, show me around this place. And I'm not even from there. But it was that moment where, you know, we were kind of crossing the line between passion for baseball and sport and, you know, just kind of my childhood with architecture and the significance of place and the, the idea that this piece of cultural significance is important because and um you know that was just one of those great days in my career in it when i was sitting at a baseball game but it was kind of understanding that uh you know no two are alike uh knowing where you are in the world based on uh, the built environment around you is, is something that's really special. And I'm just really lucky to, to work in that world and to, uh, to be able to shape futures and kind of dance with the past at the same time. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think we could say it any better than that. So we might, we might have to end on that note. <laughs> um, there's about a thousand people right now who are, drooling over how you just described Fenway. We won't get into the actual competitive sports fan part of it because I know you're, you're not a Sox fan, but Joe, I mean, it, it's been absolutely amazing. Um, we work together and, and next, next Fenway trip. I, hopefully we're, we're both there. You um, Cause I would love the tour. Um, but <laughs> I mean, we are, we are part of an industry and we, we have the opportunity and privilege to have influence on, on those like coliseums, those, those homes, those, those places where people make those memories that you hold so dear and close to you. And that, that's why you have your passion. So I, I truly want everyone kind of listening and everyone that works in our industry to remind themselves that that is what you're doing. You're, you're creating not only a memory of a town or a place, you're creating those small moments that, that kind of you just described where it's a conversation at a ballpark. It's a, a new home that you buy for your, for your family. Mm -hmm. It's a new apartment. It's a, a new way to work. It's, a new yeah. train trip where you're not delayed and you're not always 15 minutes late. And, <laughs> and those small kind of moments in time is really where I think our industry finds pride in the completion of a project. Mm -hmm. So it was lovely kind of digging into that with you. I hope we get to chat more. I'm sure we will in consideration that, that we're only a phone call away and, and, and work together. Joe, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day. Thank you.